Ho, 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 little girl. What's your name? Can I pull your beard? Uh, ho, ho, no! What do you want for Christmas? Um, I don't know. A spotted elephant and a choo-choo with square wheels on the caboose and a water pistol that shoots jelly and a bird that swims and a cowboy who rides an ostrich and a boat that can't stay afloat. That's quite a list you got there, little girl. Most of all, I want all of my favorite geeky Christian podcasts that engage faith and pop culture to do a Christmas crossover for the holidays. Well, let me make a list and check it twice. A Christmas crossover for 2015 will probably consist of Strangers and Aliens at StrangersAndAliens.com Geekly Yoked at GeeklyYoked.com Helix Reviews at Facebook.com slash Helix Reviews The Spirit Blade Underground Podcast at SpiritBlade.com Darkness to Light at DarknessToLight.blogspot.com The Untold Podcast at UntoldPodcast.com Geek This at GeekThisPodcast.com And Voices in My Head at rickleejames.com slash podcast. Ho, ho, ho! That's it! And of course, a crossover like that would need some sort of nexus. Links to all these podcasts can be found at crossovernexus.com. Well, there you go, little girl. Anything else you want? I want an official Red Rider Carbine Action 200 shot range model air rifle. You'll shoot your eye out, kid. Welcome back to Voices in My Head. This is a very special crossover episode with the Untold Podcast. The host is Nathan James Norman. Now, do you use your your middle name usually too, or is it because we have both Rick Lee James and Nathan James Norman at the same time? So, what do you prefer, Nathan? I actually, when I'm doing podcasting sort of stuff, do Nathan James Norman. Uh, All right. Yeah, just just there's apparently a number of other Nathan Normans that were out in existence. So, <laughs> all right, well let's well let's make the intro like this then. You you can chime in whenever you have hear the space. Welcome to the Voices in My Head and the Untold Podcast crossover. Yeah, <laughs> with Rick Lee James and Nathan James Norman. Man, it's great to have you today on the show and to be on your show at the same time. It's so uh, confusing, but uh, listeners, you'll find out soon that uh, that if you go to Nathan's podcast, which is the Untold Podcast, you'll hear a little bit of a different variation on this show today because we're going to be editing things differently and we're going to be presenting um, really kind of parts of the show that are going to be the same conversation you here, but there's going to be enough different in both that I think you're going to want to tune into both of our podcasts and hear how different it is, because Nathan's going to be featuring a Christmas story on the Untold podcast, and we're going to be talking about something different here, and, and I'm going to be answering a question for his show, so it's going to be a, a fun time of interaction today with both of us, so welcome uh, listeners to this Christmas edition of the Crossover Podcast. We are, are so glad to be here today, so uh, so once again, Nathan, welcome. I'm really glad that you can be a part of this with me. Yes, and Rick, welcome to uh, the Untold Podcast. We're glad to have you here. Normally, we don't do too many interviews. We've done a few in the past, but one of the things we like to ask artists such as yourself, um, and for my listeners who are not aware, uh, Rick is a professional singer, songwriter, a speaker, um, author, and worship leader, uh, and so one of the, you're an artist. Uh, in in a word, you're an artist. And one of the things we like to ask artists on our show is, uh, why should Christians be making art? What is the point? What is the purpose? Why in the world do it? Shouldn't we just study theology and um, um, you know write write textbooks? Um, not that I'm putting those things down. I like those too. But but why why should Christians be making art? Well, that's a that's an excellent question, and I I, I think that. 
Christians indeed should be making art. I, I should say that first and foremost. Um, you know, one of the things throughout history, uh, if you go even all the way back to the Old Testament prophets and before, uh, we have, you know, even before Christianity, we have people of faith making art. In a sense, I mean, if, if you read any of the works of Walter Brueggemann, who uh, is, I'm a big fan of the works of Walter Brueggemann. I even had him on the podcast here a few episodes ago. Um, and he has done such amazing work in the Old Testament as far as describing uh, prophetic imagination and, and what it means to actually be prophetic. I think we have this uh, false sense of what the word prophet means today in our society, at least here in the West, because we always associate it with like seeing the future and foretelling almost like Nostradamus type things, yes, you know, yeah. mm-hmm. but, but true prophecy and, and being truly like a prophetic speaker um, is really to do art. And, and, and let me give you an example of, of what that means, because Brueggemann will point out that, that the, the word that the Hebrews will use for prophet would be the word that the Greeks would use as poet. And someone who actually is doing this artistic thing and they're seeing the world and envisioning it as though God really is in charge of this place, you know, and it really does take quite an active imagination sometimes, you know, and especially if you just look at some headlines today and go, wow, is God really in charge of this? Um, but but prophets or or even artists, I, I think I would lump them all together. Truly, um, if a prophet is is speaking the words of God, um, if you take a piece of art, maybe people don't understand always what art is. But let me give you an example of something we may not always think of as art. Um, I've been thinking about uh, the "I Have a Dream" uh, speech. I guess you could almost call it a sermon by Martin Luther King Jr. and even though, if you would talk to most African Americans about their experience today in the United States, they probably wouldn't say that that I have a dream speech has come true. Like, they probably aren't going to say, uh, oh, I've, I've totally experienced a society that's colorblind, you know? Right, right. <laughs> um, yeah. and, and yet, in that moment, in that speech, he is prophetically giving this message, or I would say artistically giving this message of a world as though God truly is in charge of it. And he's, mm-hmm. and he's speaking these wonderful things into existence, and it's something that we aspire to and something that we believe the world looks like when the kingdom of God comes in its fullness and when it comes in its reign. And so I, I think that's a beautiful way to look at art. I think Christians need to be making art that speaks in that very prophetic way. Speaking of this, this world that's not in existence yet, but actually is here, too, in some ways, where Jesus says the kingdom of God is among you. So so if we're talking about art, and sorry to go on and on with this, but no, I, I, really, I really love the question. I'm very passionate about it. Um, if you think of, of Jesus' words, you know, when he's, when he's talking about the kingdom of God is among you, the kingdom of God is present, um, I think that as artists, we have this grand opportunity as believers to actually begin proclaiming that and showing the world what that looks like. And, and I think maybe this is a reason that, um, I, I, if, if, if I could do air quotes while I'm talking about this, when I, when I say like Christian movies, you know, like uh, whether it be like Fireproof or um, uh, Heaven is for Real or these, these other like Christian movies, again, parentheses Christian, I think they fall short of that task because they're only trying to reach such a specific market like they're not they're not necessarily trying to reach the non-believer they're basically kind of preaching to the choir and they're envisioning a world 
in some ways they're they're kind of doing this, but they're kind of only um, imagining a world that looks like white middle class America if everybody was white middle class American Christians. You know what I mean? Like I I, I don't understand. That probably is an overgeneralization. Um, but if you think in in contrast to that, to like a film, say maybe like something that Terrence Malick makes. Mm-hmm. That there are films for everybody, and I and I've heard people in the world who, who, though Terrence Malick is a believer, and he makes these films that are almost sacramental in nature, in that like they don't always have this plot. Like you, you really have to sit down and kind of immerse yourself, you know, in like a film like he makes because they're they come at you with these visions and images that you don't even quite get in the beginning. You have to think about them. And they're kind of thing like a lot of people will sit through a Terrence Malick film and they'll walk away and say, man, I hated that. (laughs) (laughs) But, but as they think about it, like if you think about the film, they'll, they'll have these pieces, whether it's through the music or the images that are coming involved. Like there's, there's a wonderful film he made called tree of life um, and, and in that film, you sort of have these contrasting views of who God is viewed through these parents who have lost a child. And, and there's sort of this um, this contrast between the father who is almost very harsh and judgmental and the mother who is pure grace in the midst of it. And, and they're sort of talking about things that we believe about God in this film. And when you walk away from the film after you've thought about it for a while, you kind of come back to the film and go, "I kind of need to see that again." Like there's there's something that there's something that popped open in my imagination. So I think you can take things like that, whether it be the art of of a film or the art of a song or the art of you know an, an actual like painting. Um, and I've actually heard it said before that that at times some of the worst forms of art. Um, are, are the forms that are just utilitarian, like you know, like a Thomas Kincaid painting that it looks pretty, but it's not changing the world. You know, what I mean? <laughs> it's um, it's it's not really representing um, anything that's that's going to challenge you necessarily. It's, so, it's, uh, so then I guess my the follow up question to that would be, uh, from your view, uh, what what is the goal of art? What's the purpose of doing it? Um, what should it, what should it, um uh, end game be well i think and I, gosh that's a huge question the the end game and there's a lot of <laughs> i mean in, in, in some in some sense yeah i mean in some sense i guess that kincaid painting is art too because you're showing something beautiful and it is a work of creativity but i do i think like for the christian especially if you're going to be an artist i i think you you want to see um you, you do want to see uh, a way of speaking of a world that 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 is but is not yet. I think what I've sort of already been talking about a little bit, right. and, and a way of projecting that. And I think you can do that. Like maybe if I just talked about music specifically, which is more my expertise. Um, I look at at somebody like uh, like Gungor, like Michael Gungor and, and his band Gungor, and, and I think like. Man, I wish I could write music like that because it's so like imaginative, and it's he's a Christian who's an artist, but it's not necessarily like you you can't classify that as like CCM top forty like Christian radio music. Sure. Yeah, no. and you and you don't always even walk away from the songs and think like, well, I I completely understood what that was, you know, like it, it's sort of things that you kind of have to let germinate in your mind, and then kind of they kind of give birth to other ways of 
thought and thinking. Um, and then there's there's people who like me, who as much as I wish I was like a gunger or or somebody like that, um, my music. I actually feel like I have a calling specifically for the church, you know, like in a sense that congregationally, like my new album is uh, every song on there is, is designed and written for the church to use like in a public worship setting. And, and so I think, I think there's, I think there's room for both of those. So I don't, I don't ever try to present myself as an artist as though like I'm ever going to be that kind of artist that Gunger is. <laughs> but at the same time, like I feel like there's a different way to express art. And I think both are necessary. And in a sense, the kind of art I do, um, I think is proclaiming a world that already is, but is not yet too, you know, and I think is proclaiming who the father is. And I think there's a place for that, um, that I, you know, we, if we take scriptures like, you know, if I be lifted up, I will draw all men unto me. I think when we present an unflinching view at who God is, through like hymns and things, things I try to write, um, I think that can be very beneficial to those outside the church as well because we're actually presenting a real image, hopefully, of, of what we proclaim and what we believe. So when people hear it, they go, oh, I know exactly what you're talking about. And, and maybe there's a clear line between what that is and what that isn't. But there's also room for that art that that needs to germinate and needs to like give birth to new thoughts and needs to make you think a lot more. And I, I like to think that both of our like styles are doing that just in different ways, I hope, you know. So Yeah, it seems like there's uh certainly different audiences in mind. And that's actually one of the tensions we feel over at the Untold Podcast is who is our audience? Uh initially, I mean our, our tagline is engaging the culture's imagination through speculative fiction. Um, but one of our requirements is that uh, we have to have a, um, generally orthodox uh, Christians and little o orthodox. Um, so you have to believe in some of the basics of uh, Christianity in order to have a story or a piece of art submitted to the show. Um, and so there's a tension there because a lot of the stories we feature, uh, they're, they're not explicitly Christian per se. They, they wouldn't make it into the uh, Christian uh, Booksellers Association. Um, sure. They, they, they just wouldn't. Uh, some, some don't mention Christ. Um, some, uh, don't, um, don't really explicitly talk about God. And, um, and you look, but, but the Christians, the, the, the artists behind it are Christians. And so you ask, well, what, who's the, you know, who is the intended audience for this? And, uh, I think for us, the intended audience is, um, is everyone. Um, I think subsequently what happens though is, is a lot of Christians, um, are involved with the art and, uh, and so they tell their friends who a lot of them are Christians. And so we have a very little non-Christian, um, audience. We, right. we have some. Um, so it's kind of like one of those tensions of, mm-hmm. of, yeah, we want this thing to kind of what, what you said. We're trying to be creative and, uh, um, uh, change people's thoughts, or, or ch- not maybe change, but challenge and open up new worlds and speak reality and uh, give an image of the way things uh, could be and they already are. There's that that tension between uh, inaugurated eschatology, um, already and not yet. Yes, Jesus yeah. is reigning, but he will reign when he comes again in fullness. And um, and so we we over at our podcast we struggle with that. It sounds like you know here you are and you're you're writing uh, modern hymns if I can put it that way, um, and it certainly is for worship in the church. But but that's all. It's also art, and uh, believers and non-believers can can appreciate that equally. I, you, you watch some movies and uh, they'll use um, 
uh, How Great Thou Art is in the background, or um, uh, you think of uh, the movie True Grit, and that movie was uh, the whole um, uh, the whole soundtrack was based around uh, leaning on the everlasting arms. Yeah, all throughout the film, just leaning on the everlasting arms. Okay, well, not a Christian film. The, the filmmakers were most certainly not Christian. Um, but but even there, they recognize the beauty of this hymn, and um, yeah, uh, and, the, and sorry to interrupt you. No, that's the, fine. The, the, I'm, the, I'm, the I'm from New York. We do that. <laughs> <laughs> well, the Cohen brothers, you know, are a perfect example of that of uh, people who aren't believers but are using art that that actually makes Christians think. And, and there's a new movie. I don't know if you saw the trailer that they they have another new film coming out. Which has a lot more like explicitly Christian things in it, and it stars George Clooney, and it's he's he's playing like an actor from the fifties, and he's portraying this actor that in the film is is one of the centurions that's crucifying Christ, and um and I I wish I could remember what the name of the film was, but the trailer was like wow I gotta see that film you know and uh so I, that was just a side note because you had mentioned yes, the, yeah. the the True Grit and and what a different film that is from the original John Wayne you know oh, True most Grit. certainly yes uh, most certainly talk about a reimagining and. Well, and I think about, you know, with, with your podcast, and I, I don't know if you've ever covered this story on your show, but um, Parker's Back by Flannery O'Connor is one that comes to mind. I don't know if you've read that short story. Yeah, I, I love Flannery O'Connor. If uh, one day when we can uh, afford the uh, the rights, right, oh. <laughs> we will produce a Flannery O'Connor uh, uh, story. She She's a good example of Christians doing art well. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And I... It's it's like how do you describe art? That would be you know I, we could probably talk about that one for a long time, but that's that's certainly such a a huge thing to talk about. I've I've heard people actually talk about like you know kitschy art, like just the the pretty stuff you have in your home, but you know it's kind of harmless. But they've actually they've actually talked about that and likened it. Like I've heard Christian artists like liken that to pornography. Um, and, I think that I think that's too far. <laughs> well, it probably is too far. But the only reason that they they say that is they say because of um, of it not. Um, uh, and by the way, I would say that's probably extremely too far. <laughs> but yeah. but it's sort of they're making this point of like it's not presenting a, a world that um, is challenging or is real or is is. Uh, it's it's not authentic, I guess they would say, is is how it is, and that's how they used it. Actually, they said it's it, it's just as unreal as presenting like like pornography, and, and that's how I've heard it actually used. And I again, I think that's probably a a, a, a bridge too far. I would say. But again, they're trying to to speak something. Even using that language is in some ways like an artistic way of like over expressing a point, you know, like yes, trying to make a point. Certainly certainly hyperbole. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> and we and I think we struggle with that as Christians and even in parts of the Bible because there's so many parts of, of the Bible that, you know, are probably hyperbole that we're taking as literal and, and the other way around too. <laughs> you know, and, and you, right. you have all this these you know uh, so many years of literature and the way that, that writing has changed even from the beginning. So like how do you describe art in that? It's that's a big that's a big question to tackle. Yeah, one one of the things uh, I've heard a few uh, artists and and people who are interested in art say is uh, good art asks questions. Yeah, uh, it's going to leave you asking more questions than it gives answers. Um, and uh, I I think that's 
I think that's true. I mean, you look at some of the Psalms, which, uh, in my humble but correct opinion, the Bible is uh, amongst, it's the greatest literature ever written. Um, the reason we don't see it that way is because, A, we're poor readers, and, and B, um, we've had it read to us poorly and presented to us poorly. Um, but you look at the Psalms, for instance, and they are songs of yeah. the heart. And uh, you look at something like uh, Psalm 13, and it doesn't end in roses. It doesn't end in um, uh, uh, jubilation. It, it's a challenge. God, where are you? Where are you in the midst of my pain and my anguish? Mm-hmm. Um, I'm going to trust in you, but it doesn't feel like you're doing anything, yeah. if I can paraphrase it. And um, and that's great. I, you know, I preached that uh, message or that text uh, a few years ago, and it was just... Um, uh, for so many people, it was so challenging. I had some people come. I, I said in it, you know, in, in your prayers, you can yell at God. He can take it. Sure. Um, yeah. He already knows that's how you feel. Yeah. Uh, so why don't you, you know, let it out and share with him what you're you're going through? And, and uh, I had some people thank you so much. That was so helpful. Others came up and said, uh, uh, well, you know, I just think, you, know, you can't do that. It's disrespectful to God. I'm like, well, are you thinking these things anyways? Yeah. Well, <laughs> he, is, um, he knows everything. Right. Um, he sees so, you when you're sleeping. He knows right. when you're awake. <laughs> <laughs> so, so it's um, – but that's just one example. You, you go through all these um, – uh, the stories or the uh, the narrative literature or the prophetic literature to circle back to where you were talking about here. And it is uh, completely challenging. It is questions. It's um, uh, hardships. You look at Hosea. I mean, that's just a series of questions of sure. the prophet asking God questions. Why in the world would you let this happen? Well, I've got an answer for that. Why would you let this happen? Well, i got an answer for that. Why would you let that happen? i got an answer for that. You're not going to like it. But, oh. uh, <laughs> and, uh, and so you, you end, or, or even Job. Oh, my goodness. I've heard uh, non-believers, uh, atheistic uh, speakers and thinkers and uh, creative types. Uh, J. Michael Straczynski comes to mind. He, uh, he said Job is his favorite um, book uh, ever. Wow, and uh, Job Job ends with more questions than it gives answers. Certainly, um, certainly not satisfying, um, challenging. Um, you know, okay, yeah. God gave everything back to Job, and uh, but you know, and more kids than he ever had. Okay, yeah. well, what about the kids he lost before? Did he not love that? Is this just? Yeah. You know, <laughs> are we talking about peanuts here? Um, yeah, and uh, he. And it's not like the the uh, the ancients were so unenlightened that they didn't even think to answer that question. They yeah. they left those questions hanging in the air, so that when you and me are fighting and facing difficulties and going through hardships, we read that um, the word of God, but it's art as well, and right. it's literature, well, and we can sit in that and go, huh. And, and and you're right. I think that's the power of of the way that that scripture was written and I, I think we lose that sometimes in modern Christianity but I you know for, from what I know of you know when I studied theology in, in in school and stuff and the way that they taught me to read the Bible is you know we, we don't read scripture in a Jewish way because Jews uh, will look at scripture and it's to be wrestled with and mauled over and debated and argued about and you know it's sort of the idea that that they actually created these things so that we would have discussions and that we would in this very artistic way like come to it and have our minds be challenged and and cause us to think in new ways and you know it's, it's funny you mentioned the psalms because in my book on the psalms that i wrote um i i said almost that exact same thing that you were talking about in your sermon um you know that 
that God is not scared of those questions that we bring. I mean, the Psalms are a beautiful example of that, but there are times when I think God much prefers an honest curse to a a dishonest praise, you know, and, and, and there are certainly those times in the Psalms um, where the, the psalmist is questioning God, are you even there? Are are you even listening to me right now? You know the, you know the evil doers are thriving, and you know their bodies are sound, their pockets are full, and they scoff at me. Uh, why, why is it that the the wicked are prospering and I am poor? And you know that like Psalm seventy two, you know when he he says, I walked into the house of the Lord and. And, and there's this picture of he's so filled with bitterness, you know, at, at the way he's seeing the wicked prosper. Um, and, he, and he's asking this question, but whom have I in heaven but you? There's nothing I desired more. I had nearly fallen away because of the way that the wicked are prospering around me. Um, but, but then to come back in that beautiful picture of in the house of the Lord, whom have I in heaven but you? There's nothing on the earth I desire more. My flesh may fail, but you are the strength of my heart. Um, and that's that's some powerful stuff, you know, Amen. when you yeah. come to that. Um, so I'm I'm loving this conversation. Um, <laughs> so we could <laughs> we could probably go on about it all day, but uh, we uh, just one other thing, if you don't mind. Oh, absolutely. Um, I, I want to give a, an example of a of a Christian artist who does music and does it super well. And probably a lot of your listeners are familiar with Sufjan Stevens. Oh yeah. But his yeah. his his Illinois album uh, or Come On and Fill the Illinois was the <laughs> the name of it. Um he has a song on there about the the serial killer John Wayne Gacy Jr. Mm-hmm. Um and I don't know if you've heard that song or not, but it's it's just an absolutely haunting song because um it goes into the the song is actually telling the true life story of this man who became the serial killer, you know, and and it says his father was a drinker and his mother cried in bed. Uh, these are the lyrics I'm reading, actually, by the way. And and just to, if you don't mind, I'm just going to read them all. Oh, it's, yeah. a pretty, it's a pretty short song, and but it does this idea of like prophetically speaking something that makes our minds think. So it, it starts out telling the story of this guy. His father was a drinker and his mother cried in bed, folding John Wayne's T-shirts when the swing set hit his head. The neighbors, they adored him for his humor and his conversation. Look underneath the house there, find a few find a few living things rotting fast in their sleep of the dead. Twenty-seven people, even more. They were young boys with their cars, summer jobs. Oh my God, are you one of them? He dressed up like a clown for them with his face paint white and red. And on his best behavior in a dark room on the bed, he kissed them all. He'd kill 10,000 people with a slide of his hand, running far, running fast to the dead. He took off all their clothes for them. He put a cloth on their lips, quiet hands, quiet kiss on the mouth. And then the last four sentences of the song, the last couple lines, are what really make this song truly like soul-searching. He says, And on my best behavior, I am really just like him. Look beneath the floorboards for the secrets I have hid. And um, that that line about like, oh, well, yeah. it's not just it's just yeah. haunting, you know. And well, because it's so disturbing. Yeah, and we're so disturbed, and it's very easy for us to uh, kind of in a uh, a gossipy way uh, yeah. just look at uh, look at that and go, oh, wow, that's horrible. And I'm, you know, we we kind of uh, judge them in our minds, and then when he turns that around and says, yeah, I'm the same way. I've got I've got things hidden under the floorboards. Yeah. Oh. 
just it's just so challenging to the to the way that we think. We don't want to admit that that we could possibly be like that serial killer. And while I don't think Sufjan is saying that I've actually killed people, <laughs> no, no, and it's uh, hyperbole. And, oh yeah, yeah, and and you know what? But it's important. Yeah, it's important hyperbole. He's 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 making a very good point that the uh, this the sinfulness that rests in him also rests in me. Or, or, as one of my friends says, why are we so uncertain that it's our enemy that has the heart problem and not us? You know? Mm. <laughs> and, yeah, good, uh, good word. Yeah, Brent, uh, my friend Brandon Hancock, just to give credit to that quote, um, he, he said that, and I, I thought it was it was a beautiful way of saying it. So, yeah. Well, hey, while, while we're talking about art here, and, and this is uh, maybe the way that we can transition, if, if you're ready to do so, and go into what we really wanted to talk a little bit about today, <laughs> which may not be as deep as what we've already been talking <laughs> about, but this is a, a Christmas possible. Uh, Christmas crossover. I meant crossover. Um, a Christmas crossover podcast. And I had this idea, and we will see, and listeners, you can judge if this was actually a good idea when we come to it. But I had this idea of going to an old DC Comics Presents comic book from March 1984. And if you're a fan of Superman and or Santa Claus, then we're going to be talking about this DC Comics Presents issue that presents Superman teaming up with Santa Claus to save the day. Um, and, and so it'd be interesting because your podcast, the untold podcast, you do deal in speculative fiction. And, um, I enjoy the, the, I've only listened to a handful of yours so far, but, um, shows like yours, I enjoy for when I'm, uh, on long trips and I need something to listen to and I love engaging in stories. So I appreciate the way you present that. Well, and thank I, you. Oh, for sure. And I know at Christmas time there's a lot of nostalgia and there's a lot of, um, there, there's probably a lot of things about Christmas that we celebrate here in this country that don't even really have to do at Christmas. It's just more, you know, lore sure. and legend yeah. and nostalgia and we're remembering. Culture. Yeah, we're, we're remembering the good old days that never were, you know, mm-hmm. <laughs> things like that. And, uh, this sort of story for me, if, if I could just give the background real quick, real quick about it, um, for me and how it intersected with me, because I think it's a new story to you if I'm correct it is i have not read this one okay i I mean i have now but i hadn't before (laughs) okay well let me give you my history with it and then then we can kind of go on from there and i'll i'll tell you why it has some nostalgia feeling for me i can clearly remember there's not a ton of things about my childhood that are this clear but i was six years old it was christmas morning and I remember pulling this comic book out of my stocking uh, after opening presents. And stockings were, I think, always the last thing that we did in my family. And this was, you know, in a way that you're not supposed to do with comic books, collectors will tell you, this thing was rolled up. And I think I think it had a rubber band around it, if I remember. Oh, nice. you know? So it was like one of those, like, typical six-year-old things. So I... I think it was, and I can't remember this part quite as, vi- as vividly as actually getting the comic, but it may have been wrapped up, you know, like sort of in a tube, <laughs> you know, type shape. But I opened it up, and I remember like, whoa, Superman and Santa Claus, you know. And, the best and, of both worlds. And in your mind, you know, I'm thinking about today, like the two figures that most represent Jesus in a child's mind, you know, right. Superman and Santa Claus. Right. <laughs> At least at that time, because in the 80s when I was a little kid, um, you know, Superman really was popular among children. And not not so much, I don't think, today as he was then. Uh, but there was a sense in which, like, Santa Claus, I can remember that year in particular, 
was like, I remember like in October laying in my bed, like at six years old, thinking, is it Christmas yet? And I remember coming out and asking my mom one night, like, how much longer till Christmas? You know, because I was so <laughs> looking forward. So there was just something about my imagination that, that like Santa Claus, um, and obviously captured. And Superman did too, for sure. I was always watching the Super Friends or whatever Superman I could dig into. And I'm, I'm still, I'm probably a much bigger fan of Superman now than I am Santa Claus. But, um, you know, it's still, it's just kind of a fun story to come to. So. Well, that's a nice team up, and, and going back to what you said, actually, b- before we go further, uh, the listeners should know the uh, this issue, Superman and Santa Claus from DC Comics Presents number 67, is available from Comixology, I think, for a $1.99. So if you want to go and, and read it, uh, that'd be a, a fun read for this Christmas season. But, but going back to what you said, I mean, I think uh, Superman and Santa Claus are certainly uh, types and I mean that in a metaphorical sense of Christ. Uh, they most certainly represent him in, in ways, um, not perfectly, uh, just like some of the types of Christ in the Old Testament didn't represent him uh, perfectly. Um, but they, they 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 remind us of that person. And uh, with Santa Claus, that makes a lot of sense because, well, it, it's a bishop, a Christian bishop. Uh, <laughs> That's right. Uh, who is benevolent with his gifts. And for Superman, it makes sense, too, because here we have a person who is um, uh, selflessly uh, saving other people's lives um, for uh, for nothing other than to save other people's lives. Well, and, and of course, one of my... And, and who knows if, this is, if there's any truth to this at all as far as, like, actually happened, but one of my favorite St. Nicholas stories that I love to tell is the the one of uh, when St. Nicholas is at the Council of Nicaea, you know, and where, where they develop the Nicene Creed and all those different things, and he and he punches Arius out for his heresy. Oh, yes. Uh, yes. You know, of denying the divinity of Christ. And uh, <laughs> and uh, I would think, well, we don't we don't tell that one when we talk about Santa Claus. But, uh, <laughs> right. It's, but even, I don't know if there's any given grain of truth in that story, but it's so fun to tell and talk about, like, this is part of the lore of, you know, St. Nicholas, that he was such a defender of the faith, you know, that he he got so angry that he he punched out Arius yes. at the Council of Nicaea. It is, and, it, it's too good of a story to not be true. <laughs> well, and, and, and as we've said before on my podcast, that's right. Like some truths are so big, only a story is is a way to convey them. You know, yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. uh, which is fantastic. <laughs> well, uh, you know, actually, I'm glad you said that about Comicsology because y- you can find this comic in like some bargain bins, and I think I still have. I think I have two copies of it. If I was to go to to my comic long box um one of them is one that i bought uh in the last few years that i found like at half price books for like a buck and was in really good condition and then i think i still have the one that was like rolled up like you could swat a fly with it you know that i got on christmas morning all those years ago but it's just a fun little nostalgic comic issue so i would even encourage if you're listening to this now maybe Maybe pause the podcast, and you can buy that issue on Comixology, which we are not sponsored by, uh, <laughs> and, and uh, kind of go through the story with us, because it is just a fun little story. So if you have not read it, and you don't want to be spoiled by it, then maybe you should uh, you know, skip to the end of the podcast or something. I don't know. But we're going to be doing some spoilery things about this issue right now. But it, come on, it's from 1984. There's got to be a limit to spoilers at some time where you can actually go back and talk about it. So, 
So uh, I think that's like two years. There's two years, then spoil two, away. That's right. <laughs> Probably true. So so we have the cover. Uh, let's talk about the cover first of all. If you haven't seen it, it's this. It's a really great picture. It's um, actually the artist is. Um, uh, see, the illustrators are Kurt Swan and uh, and Murphy Anderson, I believe. But um, Jose Jose Luis Garcia Lopez, I think, is how you, you say his name. I believe did the cover art on this. And it's just one of those iconic pictures of Superman flying. He has uh, Santa's bag on his back, and then right behind Superman uh, is Santa Claus in the sleigh. There's a bunch of elves in the sleigh. Uh, there's another big bag there. You see the reindeer flying, and the reindeer are flying in front of a chimney. And there's a rooftop, and just behind the chimney you see the toy man with some kind of a gun. And it's one of those guns that you see like on Looney Tunes where it has, you know, like the horn at the end of it. <laughs> <laughs> it looks like the end of the gun is a trumpet. And then there's two toy soldiers, and there's a tank, a couple tanks with missiles about getting ready to shoot Superman and Santa Claus. And so it's just, um, it's just a kind of a fun comic booky cover. And it's yeah, what's kind of cool about it is the they both have S's. So Superman's got an S, and the Santa sleigh has an S on it, which is very similar to the original uh, design of yeah. the Superman S. Yeah. So there's kind of a nice little uh, parallel between the two of them. Yeah, very true. Good stuff. So so let's open the issue. And so the issue starts and says DC Comics proudly presents Superman and Santa Claus together in a fairy tale to boggle the imagination. <laughs> uh, so it, it's kind of funny that they have to call it a, a fairy tale, first of all, because it's <laughs> comic book people are just this way. You have to know this is not in continuity, you know, like – like it's not a fairy tale already, just because it's Superman. Right. <laughs> so, but, but you got to make it clear to the readers that this fairy tale is is extra specially a fairy tale. You know, it's not it's not true like the other Superman and Santa Claus stories are. <laughs> so so uh, so just to, to set the scene on this opening picture, you've got Superman flying into to what appears to be a, a Salvation Army like Santa Claus. He's standing in front of a kettle and he's ringing a bell. And there's this child, and he's pointing what looks like a toy gun at Santa Claus, and he has a like a boat in his hand, and, uh, and he's saying, "Okay, whiskers, stick 'em up. Just hand over all your money, or I'll plug you." <laughs> so, and and Santa, this this you know storefront Santa's saying, "Take a hike, kid. You bother me." And Superman's flying in with a question mark over his head, wondering what in the world's going on. So. Um, so I, I don't know if you want to add any comments along the way, or should we just kind of walk? listeners through the story uh yeah i think we can do that uh in a quick way it was the fright before christmas is the it's the title the of title the, of it, right? the comic len wine is the uh 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 the art the author yeah the co-plotter and this is back in the days when julius schwartz was the editor or as they all called him julie uh, at that yes. so uh, yeah. good stuff so uh, so this kid shoots basically this pop gun. It's got one of those little suction cup things, and it and he shoots right out and hits Santa in the nose. <laughs> he says, okay, old man, I warned you. And uh, and Santa starts reprimanding the little boy, saying, uh, saying that's not funny, kid. This, this little toy might seem harmless, but you could put somebody's eye out with these things. <laughs> you know, which uh, immediately, what does that make right. you think? Right, a Christmas story. Christmas story, right. You can, you can put your eye out, kid. Um, and so then uh, maybe you can describe the next panel for our listeners. Yeah, so then we have um, – oh, it just went away. Um, so Superman looks at this gun, and he says, hey, it's it's 
it's not really as harmless as you think it is. It's got radiation in it. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, this is the 80s, so radiation can do whatever you That's need right. to do at the time. Like gamma uh, rays did in the 60s. Yes, yep. So this radiation uh, was uh, mind-controlling him. And so this kid over and over says, uh, just hand over all the money or dot, dot, dot. And he keeps saying it, just hand over all the money or. Yeah. Uh, so Superman wraps him up in a in his cape. Um, and flies him to the Fortress of Solitude in uh, at the North Pole. That's right. And so then he gets him, uh, you know, he uses this thing, I think it's called a Psyche Scion or something, that helps him break the hypnotic hold that's on this young man. It's probably and also powered by radiation. Probably, probably <laughs> by radiation. <laughs> and he asks him, are you all right, son? Can you tell me your name? And he says, "It's th- this is great. His, the, the little boy says his name is Timmy Dickens, all right? <laughs> like like Tiny Tim, everybody. Was, right, and, yeah. By the way, as a six-year-old, I picked up on none of this stuff. I was just, right. I was just, totally like like Superman story well didn't didn't catch the humor of you'll poke your eye out kid or I didn't catch you know tiny Tim Dickens uh, or whatever it was so um so he, so Timmy and him are, are asking, you know, Timmy's asking, are you really Superman? And he says, guilty as charged. I hope I didn't frighten you. And the kid says, no, no way. Is this your clubhouse? It's totally awesome, which that's another fun thing, like the era when kids had clubhouses. Um, so Superman says, now this is my home away from home, and I brought you here because of this pop gun, which was rigged to hypnotize you. And the first time it was, uh, it was fired, and it, and it played these instructions to you. And, um, and so the boy goes on to describe that, he found this toy, uh, you know, he hidden in the hall closets because um, he knew his folks hid the presents there on Christmas Eve. So he was a bad little boy, and he went in to see his presents early, which is a cautionary tale to children. If you go into your your parents' room looking for presents, you will get hypnotized and go after people with a gun. Um, so, <laughs> so wait till Christmas, so wait till, and wait till, then you'll go after people with a gun. So wait till Christmas, or you will be part of another mass shooting. Uh, I'm sorry, so, uh, Whoa, it's pretty rough. Yeah, that's right. Uh, maybe it's not that extreme, but it almost feels that way when you're reading the story. As he's recounting what happened. Yes. So, so he goes in to peek at these Christmas gifts, he gets hypnotized by one of them, and then he starts holding up Santas in front of uh, kettles uh, that are working possibly for the Salvation Army. But probably not, because the Santa says to himself as they fly away, you know, next year I'm just going to join the Salvation Army. <laughs> so, um, so, yeah, do you want to continue the story from there? Yeah, so there you, uh, Superman uh, can't figure out what was said to him uh, when he was hypnotized to this kid, to Tiny Tim. And so Superman says, well, I'm going to have to hypnotize you again, but trust me, you can uh, you can certainly trust me. And reading as a modern reader, you, you'd almost think, well, maybe... <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> maybe there's something nefarious here, but no, there's yeah. everything's on the up and up. This is the '80s. It's um, so innocent at this point. Like it is. You're exactly is. right. A, a, a grown man taking a child to his fortress of solitude and hypnotizing him with a special ray. Just trust me. Um, you know, it does not sound very good to modern ears. But back then, you know, sure, it, you could go with anybody at that point. So. All right. Yeah. It, <laughs> it won't uh, hurt, will it? <laughs> trust me, Tim. <laughs> trust me, Tim. It won't hurt. And because the youngster does, and he yeah. uh, tells him that uh, um, the uh, Big Shot, S-H-O-T-T, toy store, uh, is uh, hypnotizing him to bring uh, all of the money he's able to get back to that toy shop, and, uh, and afterwards, remember nothing. Which and, 
I just to point out the longtime readers of Superman will know that shot name represents Winslow Shot, who is the toy man. Yes. Uh, so there's the the local big shot toy store. Uh, so anyway, continue. Superman strangely says, "I you know I should have known this." Yeah, uh, so, of course, but, of course. But 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 my question with that was then, well, if there's actually a big shot toy store in Metropolis, why why did he already put the pieces together and say, ha I know where you're hiding, right. you're no good. <laughs> right, let's see, it's toys that's uh, sending out a hypnotic signal, hmm. It Maybe must it's just be, a family name. I... Must be the Joker, I guess, I don't know. <laughs> so, <laughs> so, and then we get this next part, they're going to, you know, he's going to fly off to, to stop him and, and uh, you know, should have known who it was. And then Superman gets that gigantic key that he used to use in the 80s, and they lock up the Fortress of Solitude with it. And this is what I think is kind of funny, because Tim asks, or, or says, hey, nifty key, you know, Superman. And Superman says, thanks. It serves as an aircraft navigational marker, mostly, to where to where I'm thinking, like, wait, isn't this supposed to be secret? Why is there a big, like, a big key pointing directly at the Fortress of Solitude, which nobody's supposed to know about, but it serves as an aircraft navigational marker. <laughs> like, I don't understand what the... <laughs> this is a, a way to keep my fortress secret by pointing out to everyone exactly where it is when they fly over in an aircraft. <laughs> so... <laughs> Excuse me. So, so that didn't make much sense, but he says, you know, only Supergirl or I can lift this key. Now, hang on tight. And he, he wraps the little boy up in his cape, and they're flying in the in the, the Arctic... And while they're flying, uh, unbeknownst to this little boy, um, this like ray shoots out of this boat that this little boy is carrying, and uh, and the ray from the starship, he says, Superman is thinking to himself, it made my whole body feel like lead. I can't stay airborne. I'm falling like a rock. Got a twist in midair to try to protect him from the impact uh, with my own body. And so he lands safely on the ground, but it knocks Superman out, and Timmy is fine. But he can't wake Superman up, and they're in this snowstorm. And he's saying, "Please, Superman, wake up! We're gonna freeze to death out here. We're gonna freeze." And and the little boy says, "I don't want to die alone out here. Please, Superman, please wake up. You've got to wake up." But Superman has been immobilized by this ray that shot out of this toy. Uh, so maybe you can take it from here because then some new characters arrive on the scene. Superman is out. The little boy is. Is saying, please, Superman, you got to wake up. I don't want to die alone out here. And then what happens, Nathan? The elves, who look like dwarves, show up. <laughs> That's right. That's right. <laughs> and they're going to help him. Uh, they apparently don't seem to know who he is, but he uh, weighs a ton. So there's, I think, six six elves slash dwarves that, uh, that drag him out. And... Um, Meanwhile, we see uh, back in Metropolis at the big shot toy store, uh, the toy man is uh, following along with this. But uh, he says, I should have gotten cable TV because his image is all snowy. <laughs> uh-huh. For those of you who haven't had antenna before the uh, digital age, um, yeah, that's what happened if you had uh, poor reception, which I don't know how he had reception all the way up, up just well, being beamed well, from the North Pole. That's the uh, funny thing. Like, was there a, was there a camera in the toy, or I don't know. Is it just you just got to go? It's comics. Somehow he right. so, somehow in 1984 he was able to see an image from the North Pole on his computer screen back in Metropolis. And somehow there was a cable company up there that would have given him <laughs> better right. reception. Because this, is, unless he invented Wi-Fi way back then, there's no way that they would have seen it. So anyway, his monitor went snowy. 
story. Continue, please. Uh, so Toy Man has a... Uh, oh, he's happy that uh, Superman is uh, about to die and uh, is, um, is fell like a concrete kite. Um, good image there. Uh, and... Uh, um, He's preparing for the inevitable of if Superman does survive, I'll be ready for him. And he's got some giant killer robot he's working on. Uh, meanwhile, waking up, Superman comes and says, hey, where am I? And he's surrounded inside somewhere by these dwarves slash elves. <laughs> and, and, and in the panel, it looks like as he's, as he's coming to and his vision is starting to, you know, it's going from blurry to more clear. He looks like he's looking at Mount Rushmore. For oh second. yeah, you know, it does. It does. <laughs> like like cause it's this white picture and there's this kind of indistinct four different faces that are looking out. And then when it, when his vision becomes less blurry, he sees it's the elves. President Lincoln, is that you? Yeah, that's right. <laughs> <laughs> so how did I get to Mount Rushmore? This is crazy. Um, but then he sits up, and who does he see, Rick? Uh, he sees the little boy, and he sees these elves, elf dwarfs, whatever they are, and uh, he says, where am I? Who are you guys? <laughs> and and uh, the kid says a, a great 80s word, isn't it neat, Superman? <laughs> they found us in the snowstorm, or the storm, and brought us here, but just where is here, Superman asks. And then he sees Santa Claus, uh, jolly old elf himself, standing there with a white shirt, red pants, suspenders. And Santa Claus says, here, friend Superman. And it's funny, he keeps calling him friend Superman throughout. Uh, here, friend Superman is my top secret workshop at the very heart of the North Pole. And uh, and Superman says, workshop? North Pole? But that's impossible. You aren't, I mean, you couldn't possibly be. Um, and then he says, my name is Chris Kringle. Uh, or, my name is Kringle, friend Superman. Chris Kringle. And most folks, but most folks prefer to call me Santa Claus. Ho, 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 ho. <laughs> and it's funny because he spells his name K-R-I-S-S, Kringle. And I don't know if, I don't think that's how it's usually spelled. Maybe they there was some kind of, you know, contractually they couldn't spell it C-H-R-I-S. I don't know. I'm not sure if the, uh, maybe you know the actual no, spelling of no, Chris not Kringle. A, no, not at all. <laughs> I'll take, I'll take the word for it that DC Comics knows it's spelled with a K-R-I-S-S. So uh, anyway, this, maybe we can can kind of fly through some of this a little bit. But he thinks he's dreaming, and he he says the fortress of solitude. Um, he didn't realize it was so close to the North Pole for all these years, and why he never noticed the workshop before. And and um, and Santa says nobody sees it unless he wishes. And you kind of see that throughout this time, as as he's showing Santa begins showing Superman and the boy the toy shop, that you know. Santa kind of knows everything. <laughs> right. He sees you when you're sleeping. He knows when you're awake. He knows if you've been bad or good. And only people see the workshop that he wants to see the workshop, and people only know what he wants them to know. So it's almost like Santa is the ultimate, you know. It's not, talk about God figure, you know. And it's, oh, yeah. it's no wonder we confuse, you know, Jesus with Santa Claus so often because we have all these images of this this being that, you know, is all-powerful and can you can only see what he wants you to see and things like that. <laughs> so they, I, thought that was a, I thought that line that you just read was a very um, uh, Narnian. Uh, sounded very much like something Aslid would say. Nobody sees it unless I wish it to be seen. That, um, yeah. You wouldn't have been calling to me if I wasn't calling to you first. Very true. Uh, so very, there's some very interesting symbolism here in this uh, mostly whimsical comic. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And uh, and then they go into this, like, 
Elf Command Center. And it's, <laughs> it's, it's, it's interesting because I, I think I've kind of seen this in films since then, um, where, where like, you know, if you see Santa's workshop, there's like these computer panels and these elves are working hard. And I, I think maybe in like, um, it might be the Polar Express I'm thinking of. It seems like there's sort of an image like this. I, I don't know if you're familiar with that film or not. Um, but it seems like in that film there's a room that looks almost like this one, and I've wondered before, like, is that where they kind of got this idea? Like, this, mm. you know, I mean, it's it's sort of this um, NATO, like, you know, <laughs> mainframe, like, <laughs> like thing. We're, we're, we're watching the entire world right now, and we're about to fire the nukes, but that's kind of where the, the elves are at in this command center, and they're watching uh, Winslow Shot, the toy man, at his store. And they're keeping tabs on him, you know. They're, they're like, we're keeping tabs on him like you wanted, boss. You know, they're talking to Santa Claus. <laughs> Looks like he's getting up to a nasty ambush. And um, so Superman is still, you know, kind of to, to cruise through this a little faster. Superman is still um, recovering his powers from this blast that got to him. And he's thinking back to the cho- toys of his childhood. And... Are you familiar with the, the old He-Man cartoon? Oh yeah, that definitely looks like Battle Cat. Yeah, he's in, <laughs> Superman is envisioning this toy that he had as a kid on Krypton as an infant, where basically I, I guess it's his imagination um, would it would project whatever he was thinking of, you know, like out on the wall or something. And this thing looks so much like Battle Cat from He-Man. And I was thinking back, like that would have been when He-Man was like super popular. Yes, yep. So that has to be like a reference to, to He-Man, I would think. So little did we know on Krypton, they were big fans of Masters of the Universe uh, for children at that time. Um, but Superman says it was a marvelous toy capable of transforming my own brain waves into realistic holographic images. What a shame it was destroyed when Krypton was exploded. And that's going to be an important detail for the end of the story, by the way. You will want to come back to that toy that Superman is remembering. Uh, and so Santa's, uh, maybe you can take the story kind of from there when, when Santa's telling him it's time to go. And... Yeah, so uh, Santa says, hey, we need to go, and, and there's still the toy man to uh, deal with. And Superman says, hey, you know, don't worry. He's my problem. I'm going to handle it. <laughs> and, um, Santa says, well, you're not fully recovered from this uh, gravitational force, this gravity beam. Um, you know, maybe maybe you could get some help here, Superman. Um and, and I love this line when Superman says, I could probably do it faster. And then what's Santa say? <laughs> Santa says, trust me, son, on, all, on this of all nights, there is nobody faster than me. Being that it's Christmas Eve and all. So. Apparently where his powers are at their height. height. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> and so you have a great shot here of uh, Superman. Not Superman. See, I, I confused the two. Uh, Santa Claus uh, taking off with uh, with all of the reindeer sands. uh um, Rudolph, there is no Rudolph in this one. Well, it's the reason you keep confusing him is because their body type is so similar to Superman and Santa Claus. It's it's easy to get them mixed up. So, um, and uh, as as Superman <laughs> takes off after them, and he's behind them, uh, so it looks like Santa is quick is quicker than them. That's right. Superman says, "Well, if I am dreaming, I'm beginning to hope I never wake up." That's right. And these rain these reindeer, for some reason, by the way, are completely colored red. Yes, I don't know, I don't know why that is, but they they have like they have like golden. They look like they're uh, they look like they're harnessed with Wonder Woman's lasso. It's this yellow, um, you know, lasso looking color, and then the reindeer themselves are completely red except for their white antlers. Yeah. <laughs> the, Anyway, so but go, right, right to that that line though. I'm going. I'm beginning to hope I never wake up. So I, I hadn't 
picked it up on the first way through. But again, going back to the symbology of all of this stuff, uh, again, it sounds very uh, uh, Narnian from, uh, what was it, the Silver Chair, yeah. where Puddleglum basically tells the uh, the Green Witch, uh, yeah, if we invented Narnia and we invented Aslan, I want to live in that made-up world because that made-up world is much better than this real world that you have. Yeah. Um, uh, here Superman is looking at this, yeah, you know, I, I, I'm hoping this, this has to be a dream, but I hope I never wake up. Right. Uh, yeah, because, well, and that, that kind of gets back to our conversation about art from before. We yeah, it's about, all connected. <laughs> yeah, it's seriously, where, we, you know, the, the world that we're imagining is so much better than the world we're living in, and there's a way that we want to bring that imaginary world into reality. And uh, so that's cool. But then, but, but but in the Christian sense, it's it's not the imaginary world. It's the ex- real world. It's the world that's coming. It's the world that's already here, and exactly. we're showing how it's breaking through into this mundane, fallen, messed up, Ugly world. Exactly, Um, right. Yeah, so, okay, going back to the comic here. (laughs) Yeah, so, yeah, why don't you continue? You're doing a a great job with that. Superman is being uh, uh, nannied by uh, Santa Claus. How are you feeling, Superman? Don't worry about me, friend. (laughs) Yeah, friend friend Superman. (laughs) I've been blasted by the best of them in my time, and they haven't kept me down. (laughs) So I'm I'm just... uh, Just as he says that, he falls. Yeah, that's right, exactly. It's like, whoop, I'm feeling dizzy, boom. (laughs) And uh, Santa catches him in his sleigh, and... Uh, Superman is shocked that Santa's sleigh actually held his weight because Superman is extremely heavy. And uh, uh, Santa regards that. He says, no, I I can handle it. My sleigh was built to carry a far greater weight than yours, friend Superman, for it carries the hopes and dreams of a world full of children. Right. Uh, (laughs) Again, corny little comic, but uh, there's some some beautiful uh, beautiful lines and images in here. Oh, yeah. It just kind of, especially as a kid, that kind of, you know, pops your imagination. Like, oh, yeah. My dreams, they're they're power in there, so. They're more powerful than Superman. That's right. Exactly. which, which there's there's some good truth in that. That's true. Because Superman isn't real. Well, that... <laughs> or is he? <laughs> Maybe Santa Claus wakes up and Superman is the other the, the dream. I don't know. Never mind. <laughs> so, uh... All right. So they arrive at Big Shot Toy Shop or Toy Store. And uh, what happens here, Rick? Uh, well, it, Santa says that my monitors have already warned us that any attempt to enter through the door or window will trigger an alarm. And uh, it's interesting that Santa has those kind of monitors that can tell him that in his sleigh. Um, so Superman just says, you know, even in my weakened condition, this won't be much of a problem for me. So you have that kind of iconic uh, thing where Superman crashes through the wall. And he says, uh, um, because toy, there's actually another like comic booky line, the toy man is watching his monitors looking for Superman. He says, still no sign of Superman, don't you know? And he keeps saying, don't you know, like that's something the toy man would always say. Says, the unidentified blip uh, a minute ago disturbs me. Perhaps I'd better, and then Superman says, you've been disturbed for years, toy man, as he crashes through the wall, but I'm going to put you back into a room with a nice soft padded wall so you can't disturb anyone else. And so then uh, the toy man basically sticks his toys on Superman, and Superman normally would be able to take these toys out pretty fast, but in his weakened condition, by whatever that was that the toy man hit him with in that toy before, you know, that took away his powers momentarily, um, can't quite do this. So in a scene that I can only liken to, if you've seen the Rudolph show, the island of misfit toys that can Mm -hmm. walk around and talk, um, Superman and Santa Claus, or sorry, Santa Claus and this little boy and the elves 
are watching all the action kind of outside the building through the hole in the wall that Superman has crashed through. And Santa says, the Man of Steel very definitely needs our special help. And so they send in their toys uh, that some for some reason have now come to life just like the toy man's toys and and i i always think of that island of misfit toys thing because all those toys are walking around and talking and singing songs and everything well in this case uh santa sends in toys that are fierce warriors and they start uh this this battle between the toy man's toys and santa claus's toys and uh, and superman again says normally these these toys would be no problem for me but some of them seemed armed with a small amount of kryptonite so that's the secret um that's why superman can't quite stop these toys on his own um, <laughs> got to insert tension somehow here that's right that's right so his head is still spinning, and this is rapidly becoming the fight of my life, Superman. <laughs> Which, if you consider the story of Doomsday, where Superman dies, this doesn't quite compare yeah, in the... None of us believe this. <laughs> the fight of his life is this toy tank that's coming in. So, uh, um, but so, Superman said it, so we have to believe it. That's right, we have to. Um, and Superman says, come on, Winslow, give it up. I don't want to hurt you. And, and the toy man, Winslow shot, says, that's the major difference between us don't you know i just love to hurt you dear boy and uh and i, I almost uh picture I, don't, I can't think of who the guy's name maybe it was paul lind who used to be on um bewitch and he would have this voice like that don't you know so I, i'm almost <laughs> i'm almost uh picturing that whenever the toy man's talking um, I'm, I'm sure that's probably what it was modeled after <laughs> yeah, so uh so these the toys are combating the toy man's toys superman's fighting the toys the fierce battle is going on meanwhile santa and his elves just appear to be watching from outside um, while this is all happening. And the, and um, Superman finally says, you know, surrender. And, and Winslow says, no, it's, it isn't fair. I was winning, don't you know, till those other dreaded toys butted in. But I can still win. Oh, yes, indeed I can. Uh, one zap from this special pop gun, Superman, and you'll never bother me again. And no, indeed, you won't. Um, so Santa then, I'll let you tell what Santa does. It's a pretty funny twist to the story here. Well, he decides to give him coal, uh, because he's been naughty, naughty. Um, so he rolls out a handful of marbles, which didn't really make sense, because I figured, <laughs> oh, he's going to give him coal. Uh, what's the coal trick? No, no, I'm going to give him marbles instead. Uh, <laughs> well, apparently Santa was is still going to visit Winslow that night with some sort of gift, but it's just when that happens later, it's going to be coal. Ah, uh, okay. So, Thank you for making sense to that. <laughs> I'm, I'm guessing that. I was hoping the gag was going to be coal-related, but it was marble-related. <laughs> no, Maybe just... marbles are made of coal, but he rolls marbles out, and uh, uh, Winslow uh, missteps. And he he he's about to fire his gun at Superman, but he misses and hits his killer robot, which adds all the weight to uh, the robot, and the robot crashes all the way to the center of the Earth. That's right, breaking through the crust and the mantle, causing all of Earth to be destroyed. Wait, no, that doesn't happen. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> the robot just is so heavy he sinks to the center of the Earth. Now you have to wonder. You know, so the toy man trips on those marbles. He shoots the robot. The robot gets heavy, falls to the center of the earth. If he's that heavy, what happens when um, he gets to the center of the earth? Does he just stop, or does he just continue then to the other side? Of, you know, and then pop out the earth on the other side. I, who knows what happens? Maybe that's maybe, maybe that's maybe that's a story someone should tell in the future. Maybe that's the the modern tale. So <laughs> anyway. 
<laughs> so, yeah, you can continue. You're, you're doing uh, great. Job. Well, just to wrap it up, Superman uh, destroys the Toy Man's gun. Um, Santa takes off. Uh, Superman uh, finds the list of uh, kids who were on the Toy Man's uh, hypnotic toy list, and it's it's kind of fun because it's a uh, kind of uh, uh, dot matrix printer paper <laughs> yeah. printout, uh, you know, where all the the pages are uh, are perforated together. Mm-hmm. Uh, police come and take the Toy Man away. He's got one last. Uh, one last moment in the frame, and then Superman, moments later, a red and blue blur scores the star-swept skies. Superman goes and gathers all the toys and replacing the dangerous ones with safe ones, right. with peeking in on the kids, almost like uh, Santa Claus was. And then he, finally, after he's done, he uh, meets up with Santa, and we find out that Santa had supplied Superman with the replacement toys, and yeah. Superman had pulverized all the, the dangerous ones. Um... Santa asks Superman to take uh, Timmy home. My pleasure, Santa. And uh, Superman says, but first I'll take that toy starship, if you don't mind, the one that keeps zapping him. Oh, okay, so it wasn't a boat. It was a starship. All right, yes. I, I was wrong about that. It just, it's I, the big reveal at the end of the... It's the, the big uh, reveal. It looks like a little <laughs> boat, but I guess it's a starship. Yeah. And just as he's about to take it, He's zapped again. That's right. And, and as he wakes up, where does he find himself? Well, this is, just before we do that, this little boy... <laughs> oh, no, not again! Like he's, <laughs> This little boy is just constantly shooting Superman on accident with things. It's, it's funny. So, yeah, so then Superman wakes up from being shot again, and he's back where they started when they first fell, in the snow, uh, somewhere presumably near the North Pole. So could have just been that this was all a dream that Superman was having. And he says, all I can remember is this wild dream I was having. There were reindeer and elves, and believe it or not, there was Santa Claus. And uh, and the little boy says, you know, of course, I believe in Santa Claus, don't you? And Superman says, frankly, son, at this moment in time, I'm not entirely sure just what I believe. So Superman flies the boy back to his home and uh, says, you know, but, which is interesting to me, if this was all a dream that Superman had, he still hasn't solved the problem of this hypnotic toy, you know, if everything that we just saw didn't really happen. <laughs> but he just drops the boy off. Like, well, I guess you're home, so everything's fine now. <laughs> Even though there still must be thousands of toys out there that are, you know. <laughs> so anyway, I guess we're just to assume that this wasn't an imaginary story. But So earlier in the story, I made reference to this toy that Superman had as an infant on Krypton that only he knew about and no one else could have. So Superman flies back to his home at 344 Clinton Street in Metropolis, by the way, if you're ever visiting Metropolis. Ooh, that is, yeah. is the building that we clearly see Superman is living in. It looks like he's in the third floor. It's like he's in the third floor just above the canopy that says the address. So if you ever want to visit Superman when you're in Metropolis in the 80s, that's where you go. <laughs> he's probably moved since then. Um, but anyways, he says, uh, now, and he's in these thought bubbles, Superman is saying, now that Tim is home safe, it's time for me to go home too, so that Clark Kent can celebrate the holiday with his friends. Once I remove my street clothes from the secret pocket in my cape, I'll call Lana and, A feels like there's something else in here. Great Krypton, it, it's the old hollow toy my father made for me, the one I thought destroyed. But that's impossible, isn't it? And he projects this hologram from this toy that he has. It's Santa Claus holding up this sign that says, Merry Christmas, Superman. And uh, 
So yeah, that's that's the end of the story. Next issue, Enter Vixen. So I, I don't I don't think that's the reindeer vixen in the picture. No, and I don't think that's available on uh, Comicsology either. <laughs> I, I think as a kid, I remember seeing that Enter Vixen line, and I think I was still thinking Christmas, like, oh, right. there's going to be Santa Claus teaming up with Vixen in the next issue. Because I don't think I knew of the the actual comic character Vixen at that point. But no, um, no, yeah. So what's interesting here is the last scene. Is is so when I first read it, my first thought is, oh, it was Santa Claus who gave him this hollow toy, obviously, and and he left him this message, uh, Superman, I'm real, and I gave you this present. Oh wow, hey, it's Santa Claus. Uh, but that's not the way the hollow toy was set up to work. The hollow toy was set up to project his thoughts from his mind. Right. And so he's just thinking about Santa. So this may or may not be uh, confirmation that uh, the toy man really indeed is in jail. I guess he could go to jail to find out if it's really. That's right. <laughs> if it's really all happened. Right. So the the whole thing, like the, the the thing is, this is this is why Batman is called the world's greatest detective, not Superman, apparently, because in, in this story, like going back to what I just said a moment ago, if this whole incident with Santa Claus is an imaginary story, Superman has done nothing to solve the predicament of this boy who's being hypnotized by toys and all these other children. He's just gone home and and assume that everything's okay. So uh, it's not it's not brilliant detective work here that we're getting. Like, it should be that when he wakes up now, he's got to continue his search for what made this <laughs> hypnotic right. message happen and everything. Right. So there's, you know, a plot hole big enough to drive a truck through, which is, uh, you know, pretty much par for the course in these DC Comics present stories. But I, I think you're just supposed to, you know, as a kid, imagine, like, hey, this was a fun story, and you're not supposed to be thinking that deeply into <laughs> <laughs> but um yeah so let me ask is this is your first time reading the story and everything what what did you think of this as just at face value of the, this fun little christmas story i think that's exactly it's a fun little christmas story where you have uh two um wonderfully iconic imaginary characters coming together uh to fight a um a, a villain who's Kind of a non-threat. Yeah. <laughs> who's who's uh, way below both of these two people's standards. Um, and, but it makes sense because he's a toy man and he's uh, uh, making uh, evil toys, whereas Santa Claus is making good toys. So right. thematically it works. Yeah. Um, but it, it was a fun little uh, comic. It was a nice diversion. Um, I've been reading... Um, uh, mostly Valiant Universe, the new Valiant Universe stuff that's coming sure. out. And okay. I've been reading that uh, pretty exclusively. There's a few other things I dip into right now, but I don't. I have limited time, limited money, So, and Valiant is small, so I, I've been reading all that stuff. And, um, uh, and it's, it, I mean, it's, it's postmodern, so it's kind of dark and yeah. a little edgy and uh, sometimes a little, little more nihilistic than I care for. Mm-hmm. Um, so coming to something like this, which, I mean, it's just, it's all heart, it's fun. Um, the stakes aren't high, but uh, they're, um, uh, there's a no, inherent nobility in these comics that we, we just don't get. Um, it, 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 it's refreshing. It's fun to read. Yeah. Um, and I can sit down with my, uh, with my daughter and we can read through something like this and, um, um, you know, I wouldn't have any concerns of yeah. <laughs> her mental, uh, she's three, uh, right. her uh, mental state or anything like that. Well, I think that's uh, that's a great point you're making, because I think that's something that has changed in comics overall, especially in these like DC ones. Um, I, I'm always nostalgic for this era of Superman, just because when I was growing up, that's kind of how comics were. They were 
they were kid friendly uh, to the the sense in which and they were a lot of times really cheesy and there was you know storytelling was not a huge priority all the time <laughs> um as much as like just like you said the nobility of it and and kind of coming in but there's something that's that's kind of nice about um these characters and and the role models that they present at at this time they this was definitely a comic that was aimed at children and children at Christmas. And um, I, I think you'd be hard-pressed to find that even today uh, unless you're specifically going to buy a comic that, you know, they, they go out of their way to, like, show you on the front panel. This is for kids specifically. Um, right. But but this is something that it's, it's so interesting how the industry itself has changed over the years because kids aren't necessarily reading comics anymore, so everything has become very adult-oriented. And even if you read like a, a Christmas special issue today, it's still going to be probably pretty pretty geared towards adults and yeah yeah and so. too too much for the little ones and yeah you have to um, you have to kind of go out of your way to uh, make sure what you're getting is for kids and actually the things that are marketed towards kids are uh, marketed towards kids and so it's almost a niche in the comic world I, I I'm in the comic book store about uh, once a week and you know I'll bring the kids in every um, every so often with me mm-hmm. and they've got a little kid section and that's good but it is it's the little kid section yeah uh, it's not very big and, uh, and so we kind of go through that and uh, and there's some nice things I mean they've got kid-friendly Batman stuff and kid-friendly Superman stuff but uh, the uh, the mainstream Superman stuff or the mainstream Batman stuff just isn't um, isn't this uh, on the same kind of whimsical for everybody uh level um so it it, it was nice reading this it was yeah. uh it was a fun reminder of uh where we are and actually one of the um the owners of the comic book shop um i won't put him out by name because i'm giving his opinion here hated the man of steel movie hated it mm. and i i had actually liked it and yeah. i said well you know why why didn't you like it so much and and he said look you know i get you know back batman dark knight and all that stuff and you're you're bringing these heroes down to our level so we can relate to them. You're making them flawed and all that stuff. He says, Superman's different. Uh, Superman is something, someone we should uh, aspire to, not someone we should tear down to our level. Hmm. Um, and he felt that that's what they did at the end of that that, yeah. that movie. Um, I'm not sure if the two-year spoiler... Uh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> we're within that time frame. Um, but, uh, but I thought that was a really uh, interesting... And, and this is a guy who sells comics and loves comics uh, for a living. Um uh, but he says, yeah, Superman, Superman is someone that we need to try to become like, not someone that we bring down to our level. Um, and I thought that was a really interesting uh, thing for him to say, especially as, as Christians, where we say, yeah, we're supposed to we're supposed to aspire to Christ, not not try and make Christ <laughs> look like us. Because, right. oh, man, I can't save myself. And if Jesus looks just like me, certainly <laughs> yeah. we're all done. <laughs> yeah, very true. No, it's interesting because I, I like the Man Steel movie quite a lot. And I'm really excited about Batman v Superman. But I, I understand that side of it, too. And most of my friends and even other podcasts I've been on, um, they, they like uh, – like violently, almost hate Man of Steel yeah. <laughs> for that reason. This yeah, I'm not point. on that level, but I, I, I'm not either. Point. I good. I prefer, you know, and I realize that the stories these stories are not documentaries, so you can tell them however you want, you know. <laughs> so if it was <laughs> me, if it was me, I would have had a different ending on that on that movie too for Superman. But that's just something that has happened in in recent days in comics in general. They've darkened every character to the sure. point that it, like. It, I'm I'm still reading on time on occasion Superman comics, but 
um, it doesn't have the magic it once did. They've kind of emptied the character from what it once was. And uh, arguably, I think all the characters almost across the board, both Marvel and DC and those two, you know, big two companies uh, have changed the, what fundamentally makes their characters their characters. You know, like even Spider-Man now is more like uh, Iron Man. You know, Spider-Man's driving... Uh, you know, he, he's a million, multi-million dollar owner of a company, and he's got all this tech, and he's flying spaceships, and he's got a partner that, you know, like Mockingbird is his partner, and it's almost like Batman and Robin <laughs> meets James Bond. It's it's crazy. Like, the, there's there's nothing even close to that original, like, germ of the character that's left anymore. And they've done that with Superman, too, and he's extremely dark right now, and... and um, and I think that's right. And it's funny because throughout the years, Superman has had several iterations. When he first started, uh, he was a pretty dark character back in Action Comics number one. Um, you know, he's he's dropping bad guys off buildings. I mean, he, it it wasn't above him to kill. You know, at that time. Um, so when when people talk about like hating Man of Steel, I always want to say, well, which which Superman are you not a fan of? Because there's been so many through the years. Um, in the 80s, when John Byrne wrote him, um, he just out 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 and out murdered Zod and his companions um, because he decided they were too dangerous, and I couldn't do this normally, but I have to kill him. You know, and so like at the end of the comic, not exactly like he does in the Man of Steel film, but he does. He kills Zod in the comics, and uh, and his two warriors, which were based after the movie. So so I always think like, well. That's true, you do want to aspire to that level, but it's not unheard of in the comics because Superman has done that numerous times. You know, throughout. Right, it depends on who's writing him and what the iteration is. And, right, uh, right. Yeah. Now, now, I prefer, if it was me, I prefer, I prefer the one that we just read about, yes, you know, yeah, like the, right. that, that would not take a life, and I, I do think he's the one that we aspire to. But I do find it interesting that, um, you know, depending on who's writing the character, the characters can be many different things throughout time. So Yeah, certainly. Well, and they, they're reflections of where our culture is and, right. now, and what we believe. So, yeah. Now, mm-hmm. now, just maybe to kind of put a bow on this episode, and, and since we do usually, I especially on my show, I know try to deal with a lot of uh, Christian themes and content, and I think it would it would be a stretch to say there's any Christian themes in a huge way in this comic. <laughs> no. But, but at the same time, I do want to get back to this idea. Here, here's these two iconic characters, which I think as children especially, and maybe sometimes into our adult years, we associate with God and with Jesus, um, because we associate like Santa Claus, and I I was making a joke earlier, but I do think we almost have this view of Jesus like we do Santa Claus. You have the, the song, you know, he sees you when you're sleeping, he knows when you're awake, he knows if you've been bad or good, so be good for goodness sakes, you know, and it's it's this idea of like Jesus is this cosmic Santa Claus who, if you're good, he's going to bring you good toys. He'll bring you into heaven. If you're bad, you're going to get punishment. You know, things <laughs> like that. And uh, you know, God is love as long as you're living right. You know, <laughs> um, and and it's, it's like I forget what the cartoon was or where I saw it, but I, I think it was I can't remember if it was the cartoon or just somebody had said this, but it was like. Um, like Jesus came and say, ask me into your heart and, and uh, so you can be saved from your sin. And, and he says, why? He says, because of what I'll do to you if you don't ask me into your heart. <laughs> you <know? laughs> and uh, it, it's just funny. So so in some ways, I do think we have this um, this image in our minds. It, it's no wonder that we, we often think of Jesus like Santa Claus. And I think even as children, we, we sadly 
learned to pray to him like Santa Claus, you know, like, like come and bring me this, you know, I've been good. And, and I think yeah. sometimes as adults in crisis situation, even we do kind of go back to this cosmic Santa Claus mode. And we'll, we'll say like, you know, like that old, the sitcom. Gimme, gimme, my name is Jimmy. Right. Like, like for the sitcom trope of like, oh God, if you'll just get me out of this situation, I promise you, I'll do this for you, you know, just, just like take this burden off of me. And it's almost like, you know, it's a wonderful life where, where, you know, God gives this character this, second chance to see life the way that it would be with, you know, if he'd not made all these choices and then God gives you back to your reality and you can, you can go from there and live a different life, you know, now. Um, but Superman kind of the same way. He's, he's usually portrayed as this ultimate good that we aspire to. Um, he seems to be all powerful. He's sent from another, another world into ours to save us and, and bring us salvation and make us more like him, you know, things like that. Um, but it's, it's just very interesting to see these two icons that we so often associate with godlike characteristics come together in a comic like this. So I, I don't know if you had any like other thoughts that just come to mind. I, I don't think those are the best views that we have of who Christ is, but I do think it's the way that we often think of them. No, I, I, I mean, to, I guess, go into some sociology, I, I suppose, or psychologize the culture, I, I think we have characters like this, and we keep coming back to characters like this because it is the longing of our hearts. Um, we we do want a character like Santa Claus who will um, uh, who is benevolent and loving and uh, will reward us for good things. Um, we do uh, we do desire a character like Superman who will come and and save us when we can't save ourselves when there's someone too powerful and uh, too smart or too fast and we're just not good enough and and not strong enough uh, we want someone to come in and swoop in and save us and uh, and so I think they um, they certainly are um, echoes of our longing for God. Uh, and seeing them both together in a comic like this is um, it, it's fun, and, and they're certainly not uh, perfect uh, metaphors, representations. No metaphor is perfect, um, but uh, but I think they speak highly of what our our longing is in our lives, and um, and I think us as Christians, um, uh, well, not all all of us Christians, we need to pay attention to this sort of stuff in the culture. And uh, and understand what that longing is, and then and then translate the gospel into uh, towards those longings. Um, you know, is Jesus Santa Claus, and he's going to give you whatever you want as long as you do the right thing? No. Um, but is he benevolent? Uh, does he love us? Does he care for us? Uh, does he care for us more than our parents? Absolutely. Does he? Is he the ultimate judge? He sees you when you're sleeping. He knows when you're awake. Uh, is he the ultimate judge? Yes. There is, surely there is, the psalmist says, surely there is a God in heaven who judges. Um, one day when Christ returns, everything will be made right. Um, there is, uh, there is no sin that goes unpunished. Um, and in the gospel, we understand if uh, we we follow Christ, um, we understand that we don't have to. That our sins were already punished uh, on Him; they were placed on Him. But uh, but when He comes back, He is going to make everything right. Uh, somehow, all the wrongs will uh, will be made right by God uh, when when He returns and when we see Him face to face. Uh, life will be as it ought to be. There is there is a just God who sees things and knows things, and he cares about us. And uh, and that time is coming, and it's coming soon. Um, and so it's important to look at these two characters and say, yeah, and, and there is, look at Superman. Oh, 
guy who comes in and saves us. Yes, that, that's Christ. I mean, look at Revelation. Here he comes, Christ riding on a white horse. He's coming to save his people. Um, there, there are heroes. Um, there are, uh, um, uh, there is redemption. There is uh, salvation to be had. And um, yes, in this dark world, we will go through difficulties, and, and um, God might allow us to go through that pain. Uh, but He'll make sure that the worst thing that could ever happen to us—separation from Him and, and uh, exclusion from the new heaven and the new earth—will never happen. Um, as uh, as long as we we're in Christ, I, those those kind of echoes in even a simple comic like this, I think, are. Uh, extremely important for us to um, pay attention to in the culture and to echo back and to do art that challenges that and, and ultimately will um, will ask questions to lead people to uh, to understand who Christ is instead of kind of a angry Facebook shouting match or uh, you know kind of turning it into a uh, doctrinal does, argument or dogma again not that those things are necessarily bad but does we're that happen to, does that happen on Facebook no no I've you know I've I've heard of it there's rumors <laughs> uh, <laughs> um, and it's a uh, it, it's a beautiful thing when when us believers we can look at what the culture is is longing for and then we can say. Yeah, yeah, of course you're longing for these sorts of things. This is answered in Christ. Um, and, and maybe not, your, your longings might be a little disordered, um, but ultimately your, your, your deepest desires are fulfilled in Christ. Um, to, to quote a hymn, on Christ the solid rock I stand, all other yeah. ground is sinking sand. Yeah. And, uh, and rather than, uh, kind of, oh, I hate Santa Claus. Santa Claus is the worst. He's, yeah. he's ruined Jesus' birthday. Well, wait a minute. No, here, here's a benevolent, loving, uh, father figure. Um, <laughs> why, and when we say, ah, oh, Santa Claus, you know, the world looks at us Christians and say, what are you against? I have no clue what you people are for if you're against this benevolent, loving, uh, character. Yeah. Um, yeah. Well, and I, it, it, to speak to to this, and um, one thing that I'm thinking about in in this comic in particular, which I think aligns highly with my view of Christianity and my view of of who Christ is. Uh, if I I can't remember exactly who said this quote, or even if I'm getting the quote exactly right. So I'll just put it out there. It's not exactly original with me, but I the the quote I love when we're talking about judgment, um, the idea. Um, I heard a minister, I think it was, say one time uh, that that to a person um, who is resistant to the gospel, a person who is resistant to what God wants in their life, um, the judgment of God appears to be wrath. But to a person who has opened themselves up to um, the calling of God on their life, the invitation, um, that judgment will appear to be mercy. And it will appear to be grace, and I think in that's this, a very good way of putting it. Yeah, yes. and and I, and I think it's interesting in this comic uh, just to to see where this differs a bit from like our culture and kind of how dark everything has turned. Um, I think even you see in these supervillains, and and partially this villain in this story, it's because we need to use him again in later stories. We're not going to kill him, you know, <laughs> anything like that. But there's also this sense in like when the toy man is introduced. Um, Apparently, he was rehabilitated at one time, you know, and, and that there was hope for him. And so he started this toy store again. And Superman goes, oh, no, he's back to his old ways again. Almost like, oh, no, he slipped up again, you know, like. And so when they when they goes in, 
And Santa, you know, his regard to the toy man is not, you've been bad, now I'm going to kill you, you know. <laughs> his regard to him, like if I could just be a little bit, you know, Christ-like in my thinking for a moment, uh, he he pours marbles out to trip him up. <laughs> but, right. the, but the tripping up is not so, you know, what the toy man's trying to do is, is shoot Superman and kill him or get the killer robot to, you know, kill him or however it is. Superman's response Santa Claus's response in this story is to actually stop the toy man so that he can be rehabilitated again, like so that he can be restored in some way. Because they haul him off to this, you know, padded room or whatever, and I mean, it doesn't explicitly say that, <laughs> but we have this, you know, that they're they appear to be taking him to a place where he can find help, not a place of necessarily um, retributive just punishment for the sake of, of wrath. You know what I mean? Like, right. and so as I look at that story and I think of, of the way they're responding to that, I, I do feel like that's a, a better picture of who God is in the God that I have experienced in my own life. That, that when I have found there are times I think that God has tripped me up, so to speak, because I have been on the wrong path, because I have been sinful in, in my own ways. Sure, and it feels and it feels like he is uh, against you and he's hurting you and why are you doing this? Yeah, uh, and exactly. it's ultimately it's ultimately out of love because right. we're hurting others and ourselves, and right. uh, what we're doing isn't isn't good. It isn't helpful. It's not where we should be. We can be in a better place. Yeah. So so this this idea of of uh, restorative um, restorative uh, judgment, I would say, versus just uh, like a wrathful retribution type judgment. I, I I always seem to see Christ on that restoring side of things. Like the like if if Christ is is coming against us for something, it's for our good. You know, it's for our it's for our restoration. It's so that we can be made whole in Him and be made new. And so if if we can take anything from even a simple, I, I think even that is um, something that our hearts long for and need and so i love how you put that about these these archetypes are saying something about the cry of our heart of the things that we need and so when we again if if we make the judgment that our enemy is always the wrong one what if we find out that we are the enemy and that we are the one that need our hearts to be realigned and, and changed maybe maybe we are to use the story as an example maybe we are winslow shot and <laughs> yeah you know we're the ones you know set right. on on our own way and our own agenda when actually what needs to happen is we need to be uh, changed and renewed and restored and brought back to a place of, of wholeness again. Um, so yeah, it's, it's an amazing thing that Jesus told us to love our enemies, isn't it? Yes, yes, it is, and that's a difficult thing. <laughs> well, and it causes controversy. Oh, it's, it's utterly impossible. Um, and, it's, and people, it sounds nice on paper, but when it really happens, people don't like it. Well, and you see, you know, there there is a scandal. I don't, I don't like it. I'll, I'll be honest. I, I have to love my enemies. I don't like it. It's it, hard. It is extremely hard, and I have to say, God, the Holy Spirit, I, I can't do this. I need you to. I need your help. And there is a um, real there is a real scandalous side to the gospel and that's one part of it that that is offensive because we want to go no like you know visit back on them 10 times for what they've done yeah. they did, you know like the Chicago way that they do in um uh the the untouchable they send one of yours to the hospital and you send two of theirs to the morgue you know <laughs> and uh and it's it's interesting because that's what we want and yet we serve a savior that says love your enemies pray for those who persecute you um, and, and that's a that's a hard thing, you know, in, in a time 
that we live in and and uh you know when we have a mass shooting every day it seems like anymore um the the hardest thing in the world to do is is how do i love them back to restoration rather than let's just let's just kill them all let's keep them out let's do you know whatever um that's a really hard thing to grasp with and yet that's part of the scandal and and part of the offensiveness of the gospel i would say is it offends our our human sensibilities for justice and it it drives us on towards grace and um so well you know what we've been talking for quite a long while we probably quite some time we probably could go for a much longer time too yeah sure (laughs) Uh, it's been great yeah yeah it has been i've really enjoyed it if i could just indulge just for one moment real quick for my listeners here um i wanted to say thank you to all of you listening who helped out um, it's been probably a, about a month since I put the last podcast out, and at that time I was making one final plea um, for my donors on GoFundMe.com to help me finish financing my album. I am so pleased to say the album has been uh, fully financed, and so uh, I'm praising God for that. We met our GoFundMe goal, um, and these kind of things are kind of hard to know exactly how much money you're going to need, so there's a lot of prayer that goes into it, and kind of like, please God, is, stretch this dollar as far as you can. Uh, and so I'm happy to say that just this morning I actually received a notification that the CDs are are finished, the the manufacturing has been done, and they are have, are being mailed out today. I'm supposed to have them at my house by like Tuesday or something. So for those of you that donated fifty dollars or more, you'll have your discs on the way, um, hopefully to your house before Christmas if all goes as planned. Uh, and then the rest of the world, you'll have to wait until St. Patrick's Day on March 17th when the album actually releases uh, to the whole world. Um, but I just wanted to say thank you to my listeners because so many have been so uh, generous and just so helpful with that. And, and you're tired of hearing me talk about, please, please help, help. Um, but I just want to say thank you to everybody that was so generous. I want to wish you all a very Merry Christmas because I don't know if I'll have another podcast out between now and Christmas. But um, I do, I, I pray that the Advent season for you is a time truly of waiting upon God and allowing Him to do something new in your heart and uh, uh, letting God do something to prepare the way uh, for His coming, not only as we remember His first coming, but as we await expectantly His second coming as well. And so when we reach Christmas Day, we can celebrate together again what it means that the Savior has come into the world and how we live that out. So uh, I do want to refer all of you who are listening to the Voices in My Head podcast, please go check out my friend Nathan James Norman's podcast, The Untold Podcast. Um, it's very good. If you like speculative fiction and, and enjoy hearing stories, um, it's almost, in, in some senses, I'm a big fan of old-time radio, and in some ways it kind of has that feel, Nathan, whenever you're telling your stories. And you have just enough kind of sound effects in the right places, and it, and it really it really adds a lot to the storytelling. So go check out well, the whole podcast. <laughs> yes. Thanks so much. And for all of my listeners, be sure to uh, check out Rick Lee James over at Voices in My Head. And uh, what, what's the URL for that? Uh, well, you just go through my website, which is rickleyjames.com, and if you want to go directly to the podcast, you go rickleyjames.com slash podcast. Ah, there you go. And it's been a pleasure having a conversation with you. Thank you so much for uh, supporting Christian art and uh, in all of its forms, and uh, really to all of your listeners uh, as well as mine. Um, uh, I am thrilled that you are making art and uh, you're doing it as a Christian and you're allowing your Christianity to flow through it, however it comes out. Uh, that does make a difference. I, I, I don't know how. 
Uh, I can't quantify it. I can't uh, count the money. I can't uh, count uh, uh, the uh, individuals. But it, but it does make a difference. We need to be doing that, as we talked about earlier. Uh, making art um, brings alive the gospel in ways that um, other forms uh, just don't. So thank you. Well, and thank you. And uh, thank you, Nathan, for being one of the voices in my head this week. <laughs> You're welcome. You've been listening to Voices in My Head, the official podcast of Rick Lee James. If you'd like to know more about me, my ministry, my music, my life, go to my website at rickleejames.com. And I'd love this to be a community experience, so if you call 937-505-0162, you can leave feedback, you can give me suggestions for future shows, you can even record comments that I can play on the next podcast. So let's make this something really great together. 937-505-0162. Thank you so much for listening to Voices in My Head, the official Rick Lee James podcast. God bless.